Hi. Okay, my name is Jeremy Wartzman. I run an agency called the Jackie Winter Group. We are an illustration agency representing Australian illustrators. Um, it's a bit hard to explain exactly what we do, so I have a bunch of slides here that kind of talk about that before we get started. Um, so essentially, we're kind of like a record label for illustrators and image makers, and we take care of all the business stuff. Um, things that we include include promotion, so this is kind of the best illustration of that. It's, it's a bit similar to pimping, us on the right, and our fine-looking artist on the left. Um, negotiation, um, so prices, contracts, things like that. Production, sometimes we have a nice turd, we need to polish it ever so lightly and gently. Finance, um, chasing up invoices, talking about licensing, things like that. Legal stuff, that's a horse's head and lots of blood. So, Insight, um, that's the name of the series of talks, and I really want to try to do something different for this series. And one of the things that I originally tried to do was trying to put a camera on my head and record a full day of what it's like to run the agency and do things like that. I actually spent a lot of time and I found this device called a Luxie, which I put on the side of my head and tried to install it. But unfortunately, my day was incredibly boring, and it pretty much just looked like this. And the video quality was terrible, and I decided not to show that stuff to you. So instead, I'm just going to show you some other kind of things and give you a bit more insight into, I guess, my background in terms of how I got involved in um, starting an agency and in terms of a bit of what we do, and hopefully that helps. The way that I got into design was through a talk itself, and I used this slide to illustrate it. This is a slide um, from a guy named Edward Tufte, and Edward is a design professor at Yale University in America, and he writes about um, envisioning information and putting, essentially, graphing data. And in his workshop, and I'd never been to a design workshop, I was actually sent there as a punishment from my dad, um, who was very kind of advanced in his um, discipline disciplinary methods. And in Edward's presentation, he showed these two things, these slides about the Challenger space shuttle, um, the disaster that killed, I think, 15 people. And basically, on the left-hand side, those are two slides that show um, the O-rings in the different boosters. And the problem with that is that it was done by engineers. And when you look at all the data in that way, you can't really tell. But in Edward's version, on the right-hand side, it kind of shows that when the temperature goes down, um, the O-rings are incredibly volatile. And he really kind of uses this presentation as a way to kind of drive home the idea of design and how no matter what you're doing, you are visually communicating. And design actually does have quite an important role in our lives. And I thought that was a really profound thing to see at a young age. And um, that's kind of what propelled me into design. And I kind of have a really weird background of how I got from one place to another. And I kind of like talking through that because it helps, I guess, put things in perspective a bit. And that's kind of a weird flowchart of where I started and where I ended up. So I'm originally from Long Island, New York. And if you've read The Great Gatsby, that's West Egg over there. That's East Egg. And that's where I was born up there. And then Manhattan's over here. This tiny island holds 25 million people or something like that. And I went to school at a place called Pratt Institute which was actually an old shoe factory. The thing that I really want to kind of, I guess, get across, firstly, is just talking about, I guess, how really boring things can turn into really good things. And that's kind of a principle that I use to drive the business and that I really try to communicate when I talk as well. This was one of the first jobs that I did while I was at Pratt. I was working um, 
my background was in design, and I was working at a design studio that did publication design. And we had such exhilarating titles as internal auditor, which was for tax auditors. And literally, what I did there all day was before InDesign was around, I would take and manually change ligatures from FI to FI ligatures and just go through that the whole time. And it was through that that I kind of gained the experience, I guess, to move up into more senior editorial roles. And when I was 19, I was started to work at Book Magazine. I actually dropped out of school to take this role. Not very smart. But they gave me this budget. I got like 30 grand a month just to commission artwork. And that's all that I did. I didn't know how to do it. And I was dealing with agents, and I was dealing with illustrators. And these are kind of some examples of some um, pieces that I commissioned while I was at Book. And then I'm kind of fast-forwarding a bit. I ended up in this weird hut in Australia. I kind of lost my job and just decided to go somewhere, and I went to Sydney. I don't know why. And I couldn't really stay. It was really hard to stay. And eventually, I did, though. I got a call from this guy named Mark Cowan, who ran the studio called Cowan Design. And he was looking for a finished artist. And he called me literally the day before that um, my visa expired. And this is what I did there. I did finished art for and it was actually the best job I've ever had, like in retrospect. And I love showing these slides because I think I actually learned so much from doing this job and so much came out of it from here um, that it really was an opportunity that I only took because I had to. If I let my pride get in the way of doing it, I probably would have said no, but I had to because I wanted to stay in the country. And basically what we had to do was color separations. A lot of DCS work, so you take a file, if you need to print it with um, and have it look very different, um, you have to do, you have to separate out into different colors and do all this bullshit to it. And that's what I did. I did that and I wrote up markup for packaging um, and had to do like press checks where they wake you up every two hours for like 48 hours straight, which I'm sure some of you know. And the, the reason that that was good, because I think it all kind of builds your visual library as a designer or a creative of any sort. And I really like this example as well. This is an example of Paula Scher's um, sketch for the Citibank rebrands in America and the, and the final piece. And she talks about um, how when she did it, she just sketched that out on a napkin. She listened to the brief, um, and then she just put that down. And that was it. That eventually became the final mark. But when she talks about it, and when also we think about pricing and how we place value upon our time and on our work, I think it's a really profound example because it's not just the five minutes that it took her to sketch it out. It's the five minutes and the 40 years that she's been alive and the 10 years that she was reading or the five years she was at school. So it's all cumulative. And I really think that's important when you think about what your own path is to your own career. Um, at the same time, while I was working at Cowan, I was really kind of actively keeping a visual library of different things that I was interested in. And one thing that I um, really loved is kind of different ways of storytelling. And, you know, I would go to work and do my kind of nine to five thing. At the end, I would just kind of read, because that's what I like doing. And I would keep this little visual library, and this is one of my favorite things. This is um, a story from Vanity Fair in 1932. And the story actually takes place in a series of checks. There's no actual narrative, there's no actual type. It's just checks who they're made out to, who they're made from, the memos and the amounts. And that kind of gives you this really interesting kind of short story in that. And the second thing that I really liked was um, this thing called reverse graffiti, which was, um, which was essentially instead of putting marks onto a wall, taking marks away and making statements that way. 
This was another example of this thing called the Protest Mobile, which was uh, built for the Republican National Convention. And it was a bicycle hooked up to five nozzles containing a chalk and um, a chalk and water solution hooked up to a cell phone that when you texted it messages, the guy would write it and would just spray them on the concrete and then wash away. So the reason I bring this up is because, again, working my job, and at the same time, in my house, there was this poster for the Astor Movie Theater, which is a theater in Melbourne, um, and they put out this poster every quarter. It shows all the different things that they have coming up. And at the same time, there was also a hoarding across the street from me where I lived, where there would be different kind of bill posters going up there. And then there was a um, store called Readings, which is a bookstore, and um, they had this thing called the Housing Notice Board. And basically, it was really interesting because every Friday when they replaced the, um, the notices for the housing, people would just kind of gather outside and read them. And it was a really interesting th scene. And I thought if I could combine all those three things, I would somehow be able to make some money out of it. And I tried to do it, actually, while I was working at my job at the same time, which kind of worked. And what we got out of it was this thing called Is Not Magazine. And Is Not Magazine was essentially a magazine that went on the streets on these hoardings. And I was doing it with, with four other people. There was one other designer, Stuart Geddes, um, and then three editors. And it was really a way to bring that idea of, I guess, edit, a, a magazine um, back into my life in that way, because working at Book Magazine, it was so incredible the type of people we got to kind of work with. There were photographers, there were editors, there were ad salespeople, um, there were, you know, it was just this really interesting kind of collective. And so me and Stuart, um, every month, because we both have a keen interest in comics and design, um, we were constantly looking for illustrators to, to come on board and to contribute to the magazine. And it was really hard because, from my experience as an art director, the first place that I was looking was for agencies. That's the first place I would go because they would have a whole collection of people. You would get to look at them and et cetera. But there were essentially none when I was looking for them, none that were really representing the artists that I really liked. And essentially, it was through that. Um, this is one of my favorite photos. It's actually taken through my blinds in that same spot from before, just watching someone read the magazine. And I'll come back to this later, but being able to, I guess, see people interact with the work was another really, I guess, fun part about doing it and having it out there on the streets and people stopping and reading it. It's just, it was a good feeling. So these are some of the artists that originally contributed to um, Is Not. So this was um, Amo, um, Mel Stringer, um, Paul Davis, now goes by the name of Oslo Davis, um, and Lachlan Kahn. And essentially, I had the idea that through working with these people on Is Not and essentially making the thing that wasn't there. So just as we couldn't find the magazine and Is Not became that magazine, because there was no agency, I essentially created it. And that's where Jackie Winter started from. And it just started out of my bedroom um, in 2007 and started with about 12 artists, and they were all Australian artists. And essentially, it's just kind of grown since then. This is our second iteration of our site where we had about 16. And then it got to 32, and I said, okay, no more, 32, that's going to be it. But it went more, there were 40. Um, and now to our latest iteration, we're representing nearly 100 artists over um, four different agencies.
And so it was, it's, it's just kind of like this thing where, th where there's a vacuum in an industry somewhere. People will just kind of come and start to fill it and be able to work with your ideas and put them and interpret them in different ways. And just by giving creatives access to these different talents, I think it was really interesting the different types of work that we were able to engage our artists in, not just your traditional print. Um, this is an example of a campaign that ran for Boral when they switched their cars to natural gas, and one of our artists did a rap on that. One of my favorite campaigns that um, two of our artists, Tin and Ed, did for Visa. Um, I'll show you on the next slide. This is actually kind of a walkthrough of what they built in a studio. So there's all kind of like a hanging um, mesh that a grip put together. And all the computers and all the cables are all kind of hanging off it. And then when you kind of go around to the certain angle, that's when it kind of makes go. But nobody will ever see that because they only shot it from one thing, from one perspective. This is my favorite. This just came out. This is for like a mining company, the don't be a head thing on the right. I mean, that's just why I love my job, because how often do you get a brief that's, you know, and the feedback's like, make the guts spill out a bit more. And that was only one of two. There was another one where a guy's head gets run over. That was really fun. That was from one of our artists named Diego Patino. And we do a bit of work for Wired as well in the US, and um, Rick Lee did that tattoo design on, um, on the left, and then it got photoshopped on the arm there. And again, just different types of projects. Paul Davis um, did a um, portrait project for the National Gallery of Victoria. And um, Toby and Pete for Cadbury Cream Eggs. James Squire, there's a bit too much work here. I'm going to keep going past this over here. And again, coming back to this, again, it's just the really fulfilling thing about it is just seeing your work out there. And that's the original Juice campaign that Stuart McLaughlin did. And just the same thing with Isnod, being able to, I guess, really put out really good work out there and see it happen and see it as part of your visual landscape is a really powerful thing. And it's a really great motivator for myself, especially. So once we kind of, I guess, had so many artists on board, we, and so many people email us kind of every day and every week, um, for representation, we had to kind of figure out different ways to expand. So we have a few different satellite agencies that um, are set up specifically to cater to those needs. Um, this is the Hatch, which represents emerging artists or artists um, who might not yet be up to that commercial level who are trying to take their work in a different direction. Um, and that kind of is for, I guess, briefs that have either smaller budgets or briefs that, um, you know, that are looking to take a chance on someone or someone who wants to mentor someone in that way. And then we also started the Bowery, which is our more traditional agency um, to really kind of solidify our relationship with clients. A lot of them were coming to us for storyboard work, for 3D rendering, for more, I guess, traditional means. And these are kind of more older established illustrators that are in this agency. And finally, we have an agency called Rock of Eye, which is essentially Jackie Winter in reverse, where we're taking international illustrators who are, excuse me, at the top of their game overseas, representing them to our clients here in Australia. Um, and then as that kind of went on, we just kind of, it further expanded. And I started Lamington Drive, which is our bricks and mortar gallery in a space um, which is called the Compound Interest. And this is our first space in Fitzroy in kind of the Gertrude Street precinct. And we called it, um, we called it the Compound Interest because there are actually, there were three different businesses in there. They were all on the top floor and then we had Lamington Drive there on the bottom floor. And it was kind of just this joke between us that you know, all of us were kind of in the commercial arts. We were, doing, we were doing things in the applied arts. We were doing art for money. We were doing creativity for money. And the idea that we all had different interests and we all worked together um, and tying that back into a term, you know, we called it the compound interest. But we never really took 
it was just kind of a joke in terms of the building name, but we use that in the future. And this is just some examples of what we do in Lamington Drive. And it's really all always comes back to the artists in terms of being able to develop their careers, um, to give them more attention in a different way. And especially in Australia, there's not a lot of commercial arts training for people interested in illustration. A lot of people have backgrounds in fine arts. And so we really open this as a platform to kind of explore the differences between fine art and commercial art. This is Andre Innocent's exhibition where she built um, this kind of birdhouse out of cardboard um, and just filled it with all this kind of otaku stuff. And Dylan Martorell, who also has a fine art background but does do a lot of commercial work, um, you know, he spent a week growing mushrooms and playing them. Um, and then we eventually moved to a bigger space and this is the current compound interest that we're in now. And the reason I kind of bring this up as well is because I think this is an important part of my practice in terms of having other people that do very different things in the same space and the way that it kind of all works. And we've kind of deliberately set it up so it works that way and we kind of all get the benefit from it. This is Lymington Drive as it is now. So we're in kind of, it's a thousand square meters and, um, and it's an old kind of, um, it's an old boiler repair factory. And in there, we have Lamington Drive still, which is a gallery, and it's essentially made out of cardboard. Um, all the walls are cardboard. We also have a letterpress printer um, who has kind of three presses and does workshops. Um, we have a second gallery there called Pinup, which is an architectural um, project space. There's also a motorcycle shop called Modern Motorcycle, and um, Christian, um, it's his business, and he does kind of custom builds of twin-cylinder Japanese bikes. We have a workshop space that we kind of um, rent out, um, a photography studio that a photographer rents out, and then everyone from the old compound as well has kind of moved upstairs and has their offices there. And we also have a framer, a bespoke framer. And so again, the, we're all kind of friends and we're all working together, but the way that it works is that you know, someone comes in to get something framed, they might get something from the gallery, they're interested in the gallery, they find out about Jackie Winter. If they're upstairs getting something done with one of the web guys, again, that might kind of translate to someone getting a motorcycle done. So it's really all about keeping that cross-pollination um, happening and active in the building. And and that's been a really big part about, I guess, building our brand as an agency as well. So this is a collaboration we did with the Design Files, um, where we provided the illustrations. We actually published it as well under our own kind of um, imprint that we made up and started with this. And then we also kind of brought in our own um, fine art printing into the gallery itself. So in terms of, I guess, how it's gotten to this point, promotion is one of the biggest things that we do, and we use field guides as the kind of basis for that. And I, the agency is named after the Jackie Winter, which is an Australian Robin that has the same initials as myself. And it gave us a really good kind of starting point in terms of where to get this inspiration from. Um, the first one was, um, was called Common City Birds. And it's really important for me when I'm doing promotion and something that I try to talk about is that there's some kind of utility to it. When I was an art director and I would receive literally kind of made like 10 pounds of postcards a week just from illustrators and photographers. And it's really hard to cut through that. Um, and so it's important to me that whatever we do has that kind of utility. So with this, the idea was that you could kind of take, we use a kind of um, binding called pad binding, where you essentially could pull out every postcard and there was a frame in back that you could take any piece out and use it in there. In between our field guide promos, we had to do kind of a Christmas promo or something in between. And this was um, a series of Ex Libris book, pro 
book plates. That was actually letter pressed um, at the same studio that I showed you earlier. And again, just a way to get work in front of people in a different way, where you're not actually kind of, I guess, trying to sell them something. You're actually trying to open up a broader dialogue and try to actually do something generous and give them something that they might find useful. Um, <laughs> the second one was um, from this, this, these books called The Pet Library. And we, since we're very big on copyright and we're, we have to kind of track down the original photographer of all these things and get permissions, and I don't know if you can see on the right there, but that was originally a book called um, Enjoy Your Parrot. And somehow I was able to track down the photographer of that. He was like 80 years old at the time in New York, and he was telling me about that one on the right where basically right after he took that shot, the parrot just went crazy and started pecking out the model's eyes. And there's no blood apparently, but it was just like, that was a very kind of tenuous moment right there that I quite enjoy. There's also another book in the series called Know Your Monkey, which is fantastic. You can see it there in the background. Um, this was kind of our most ambitious field guide. And what it was, it was kind of two components. There was this one, there was the traditional field guide portfolio component, where everyone kind of had their own page of work in there. And then the second thing was this thing called mix-ups, which was kind of a game that we did based on this card game called Mixies. And we had each artist essentially do a, um, a top part, bottom part, and middle, and they could all get mixed up. And on the back, there was actually a flip show. And it was, it was just crazy. After that, we decided to go a bit more simple and do a newspaper promo um, because there were practical considerations that we never even thought of when we were starting, like postage. Postage from Australia is just so ludicrously high. And so we were thinking, have to think about different things like weights and thickness and how you're going to get things out there. So that was pretty important and a reason for us to go a bit lighter. Um, next up in our in-between promo, we did a USB business card with um, artwork from Carl Mayer from Rinzen. And so that was just a four gig flash card that had all our folios on it. It was business card size. It was very easy to get out. And again, giving something people they're going to come back to and use. A similar kind of concept with our last field guide, which was a hardcover book and which was our first experience actually printing overseas in China. Um, because we actually couldn't get to do the things that we wanted to do. Like we wanted a fluorescent bookmark. We wanted red gilding on the edges. And no one was doing it here. And we really, it was a very difficult decision for us, but you know, we had to do it. And this is a kind of a sneak peek at our current um, field guide, which is going out next week. And with the field guides as well, like the same thing, I mean, we, we try to keep the spirit throughout the agency that we do everything ourselves. This is my living room at the time where I actually stuffed all the envelopes and folded all the field guides. All the covers were kind of hand done. I specifically designed them so we'd fold them on edges so they looked all weathered. Um, and we just hand folded them all because there wasn't enough money to pay to get them all done. When we did the second, the Mixies one, again, I couldn't afford to get them all, um, all assembled by hand. So we just got them in the raw process. You can see on the back table there that we actually did all the collating ourselves. And it was mental. I'll never do it again. More the, the collating table. Those are actually artists that we represent on the right. I had them in an assembly line, all putting the promo together. That was pretty good. So I guess I'm just going to talk a bit more about different resources that we use within the agency and that I use kind of when starting it up that might be helpful. I don't know if anyone's an illustrator who are interested in illustration. Um, but the thing that I always recommend first, if you're interested in illustration, is the AOI. They're the Association of Illustrators based out of the UK. They're a professional society, and um, they're incredible. If you need pricing advice, there's no reason. 
I mean, they have, you, they have these kind of different documents that show you they do pricing surveys. They actually have a pricing hotline as well that you can call up and you can talk to people and they'll give you advice. Um, they also have some great publications um, that they put out every year. We're corporate members with them and it's really handy. If you have a professional society to back you up, especially if you're just starting or no matter where you are in your career, I find that just gives you a lot more credibility and a lot more of a base to figure out not only things like pricing, but just being able to say like, well, if there's an issue that you have, you have someone that kind of has your back. You, have, you can say like, look, we're a member of the AOI. Our terms and conditions are vetted by them. You know, this is how we operate. Um, Illustrators Australia is another great organization, a bit more locally. They're not as active as AOI, but still really good. AGDA, of course, is a bit controversial of whether or not it's you know, worth it to join. Um, I have no opinion. Um, two of my favorite books, The Illustrator's Guide to Law and Business Practice, that's put out by the AOI. It just recently came out. But also the Graphic Artist Guild, um, Pricing and Ethical Guidelines book. It's su such a great book. And it's just, there's, there's so much material out there. And it really kind of, it, it's a bit frustrating when I try to, you know, people come to me in dilemmas and they, they f*** something up. But the resources are actually out there for you to do a lot of the stuff yourself. Um, especially the GAG. Um, they, this book um, covers pretty much every single graphic discipline from stamp design to fabric design to animation, illustration, and graphic design. Their prices are really inflated, but they also have boilerplate contracts that you can use as well. So if you need help doing your own kind of paperwork, um, you can use all of their stuff. Um, finally, um, another reason I didn't kind of do this kind of live cam record is because basically half of my day is spent on Google Reader. I love Google Reader. I love RSS feeds. I love getting information. Um, and I think it's the more information that you have, the better you're going to be at marketing, I think, your own work um, and connecting in that way. These are just some sites that I like to regularly visit. Campaign Brief is probably my number one most visited site. And the reason being is because apart from the great anonymous, content, uh, anonymous comments on all the different threads, which are wonderful, um, you get to know where people are moving around. So if someone's going to one agency um, that you've worked with in the past, you can kind of chase them up with the second agency. Oh, I see you've moved. You can kind of keep your mailing list current. You can see what things, um, who's commissioning what. I mean, it's irrelevant to send your material to an art director who's only commissioning photography or only maybe deals with film. Um, you're just going to be wasting your money and time. So this really helps you kind of drill down and figure out who's doing what. So I love Campaign Brief for those purposes. Freelance Switch is another site that I used a lot when I was starting up, and they have a really wonderful um, section called Resources where it just lists all these different systems that you can use for, be it your invoicing, your bookkeeping, your CRM, any of that kind of stuff. So I love Freelance Switch. And MagCulture. Again, really kind of, I guess, finding those niche sites that are relevant to your interest or your business is going to be really important. MagCulture, run by a guy named Jeremy Leslie out in the UK, just covers independent magazines and kind of has great in-depth critiques and reviews of those. It's really useful for figuring out what publications do commission illustration. Um, same thing for packaging. Um, the die line is really great. And it doesn't matter that it's not in Australia as well. Like, we use this information and we kind of all put it away. So, for example, if Fanta's doing a redesign and that was done out of San Francisco, any kind of big brand is probably going to be the chance they're going to want to do a global rollout if it's going to be successful. So, you know, do you find the agency that handles Fanta in Australia and do you say, you know, I, I see what's happened with the brand. I think this artist would be great for this if you're going to be doing it here. So there's all these kind of steps that you can be, that you can um, take proactively 
to, um, I guess, promote. The design files. Um, one of my favorite sites is You Thought We Wouldn't Notice, which I think is out of Australia, and just kind of posts people who are ripping other people off. And I think it's great to have kind of a forum um, where that kind of responsibility can be, you know, that can be addressed. Because it's a real problem for us as an agency um, where people have stolen work from us um, or stolen work from our artists. And if people know that there's sites out there like this, they're going to be less likely to do it. So I really support that. Um, Whirlpool, great site for um, online um, anything. Or if you're looking to buy a washing machine, you want to know which one to get. And um, Ask Metafilter. And of course, I Can Has Cheeseburger, which is that's one of my favorites. I look at that a lot. Um, and finally, I guess I'll close with just different ways of, um, you know, you, you, a lot of people come to us and approach us because they think that an agent as well will kind of get them heaps of work or it'll be kind of this golden ticket. And it really doesn't work out that way. Um, it's a lot more complicated than it, think, than it seems. And it's really actually easy to get, you know, to get your work noticed um, and to do different things. Behance is one of my favorite sites. Um, it, it's great. It's free. Um, because art directors are looking at so many different ways, I guess, to find artists and to find new talent to do their, um, to do their things. They're looking at different channels. The Loop as well, which is um, something we've just recently kind of gotten on board with by having our company profile there. We've even found artists through there that we've represented, which is um, it's a great thing. But I think most of all, I think Found is one of my favorite sites. It's an image aggregator, but the reason I like it is because it kind of, it's almost like a barometer for how well we're doing as an agency. If, if I see one of our artists work on found every week, at least one piece a week, then I know that it's kind of reaching the audience that I want it to reach and that it's kind of getting that traction and it is still relevant. And it's really easy to do this kind of promotion. I think one of the most popular um, things that was on found for a while are, were these kind of... Um, with these kind of mashups of video games with kind of old book design, old paper, old paper books, paperback books. And um, doing something like that, if that's kind of what you're interested in, doing these kind of self-initiated projects, getting five minutes on found, even if there's 100 images posted a day, if you can have one image on there, it's going to give you much more exposure, much more, I guess, bang than 4,000 postcards is to a mailing list that you purchased. Same thing with Jessica Hish, who is a designer and typographer who I think is one of the most successful people in kind of self-promotion. And this is from her project called Daily Dropcap, Gesundheit. And um, she just basically did these capital letters every day. And her, I mean, she's one of the most active illustrators out there now because she's constantly pushing her work out there. And one of my favorites, which was um, um, this illustrator who's a typographer and just illustrated spam headlines and just put them out and they got circulated and again a half hour on the internet is just going to do lots of good. The other thing I recommend is life drawing. I think it's really important especially if you're an illustrator and the second thing is to never call me Jackie or anyone Jackie because there is no Jackie and it really bugs me. That's the Jackie Winter. It's a really fat bird. It's so adorable. I really identify with it as my spirit animal but yeah, there's no Jackie. But that's really about it. I just wanted to kind of share a bit of what my process was and how we work as an agency. And thank you very much. Hope you'd enjoyed it. Oh, hi. Hi. Thank you. That was fantastic. Um, just wondered about your, the, how you balance like, the business side versus your own creative side. Do you push all the business side off into a, an accountant or something? Like, How are you balancing that? Well, it's, that's a good question. I mean, essentially, that's what the primary thing that the agency does. I mean, as an agency, 
we try to free up our artists so they're doing, focusing on the work and we're focusing on the bullshit. So pretty much that's the business stuff. And so we do most of that during the day. Um, that said, I still do most, I do most of the creative stuff myself from a, as I have a design background. Um, and then as we've grown, we've just kind of had people that come in and can kind of help with that, like, like bookkeeping and, um, and legal stuff. And so first we just kind of did it all ourselves and then, yeah, we got help, basically. Any other questions? My question is, uh, what do you look for in an illustrator when you um, decide to represent them? Yep. Um, that's a good question. Um, it, it depends on a lot of things. Sometimes if we have a lot of briefs that are coming through that we can't fulfill with our current stable of artists, then we'll actually kind of go out and try to find new artists. For example, when, when we were pretty young and we got a lot of requests for storyboarding artists and I deliberately didn't want to represent those types of artists in the original agency, so we went out and kind of looked for them, for those people. Um, sometimes we'll just see an artist, we'll see a folio that comes in and we just, we'll just love the work and then we kind of just, I guess, go along the process a bit further. Um, but it really counts on a number of factors. Number one thing is really the personality of the artist and seeing kind of, I guess, how, they, how we kind of relate to them and if they're kind of good to deal with because we've had artists on board before who were incredibly talented but just huge pains in the ass and you, know, you don't want to get them together with a client because they're representing you and vice versa. So it's really a mix of factors. I mean, the work has to be good, um, but it, there has to be a good match as well. It's kind of like dating a bit, you know? just have to have a good vibe, I think. They have to put out. Yes. Uh, Jeremy, while we're on that topic, how do you manage that process between, say, an agency brief coming to the Jackie Winter Group and then the result, how the artist interprets that brief and, and the end product? What, what, how do you go about managing that process? Are you involved intimately or yeah, how does that work? Well, it's, it's interesting because I think more and more, especially lately, we're being asked to, I guess, play a more creative role in that process where there's an idea there and, um, and they're, they, they're coming to us as an agency not just to find the right artist but actually to kind of guide them in an art direction kind of sense. I think, um, and I think that's an, an important point as well to make is because I think the reason the agency is doing well is because so many people are outsourcing things now and I think that's why smaller agencies are doing really well on the creative side as well because you have these you know, huge ad agencies and they're beefing up on strategy and beefing up on other areas and they can't really afford creative anymore and now there's so many creatives elsewhere that are just in tight units, they're going to those people. And it, but it makes, it, it makes a problem when you have a kind of, um, when you have strategy at the beginning and there's no kind of endpoint. So it's really important for us to be asking the right kind of questions about what they're trying to achieve with the creative because a lot of the times they don't know. So really getting a good brief is really important and that's something we're constantly kind of trying to refine. Any other questions at all? Uh, Jeremy, I've just got the, it's the whole digital question. So for example, what you a lot of, a lot of the work here. Thank you. Um, just mainly around, and I'm really interested because I love illustration and we champion a lot in a lot of our work, but often a lot of the time it's featured in print. And so I'm just really interested, say for example, a newspaper, there's a lot of illustra illustration in physical newspaper, but that's going to an online forum now. So is there any, just want your comments on where that's all heading and how possibly you're moving your uh, artists towards that? Well, yeah, it's, it's a very controversial subject actually because um, at, there's a conference that happens every two years called ICON, which is like the major global illustration conference. So we went, we went last year or two years ago when it was in LA, and the, that was the big thing. It's like you know, 
all do all illustrators now have to be animators? And it's it's a it's a tough question. And that's actually we're launching a new agency in July called Flutter, which is actually an animation agency. We're taking kind of a different twist on that. But that said, editorial budgets are really kind of drying up. It's really hard to get work in editorial as an illustrator, even in, in the States where we did a lot of work and it's a very healthy editorial market. Now with the exchange rate, it's terrible. Uh, it doesn't even, doesn't even make the job worthwhile. However, what we're seeing with the iPad is that there, a lot of publications are doing, have to commission work twice which means that there's more of a budget, which is great. Because like for Wired, for example, we'll do their print um, editorial, and then we're going to take it and animate it as well. Or we're going to take it and we're going to get extra licensing. So if anything, it's really opened up more opportunities in that regard. But at the same time, I think the most successful illustrators that we represent are illustrators that have background in other disciplines. Because I think that's more and more what a function of an agent is going to be in terms of representing this type of artist who's very multifaceted and figuring out a way to use all those talents. Because if someone is an illustrator, but they don't know how to kind of use you know, all the kind of tools that are available to them, it's going to make it much harder for them to be commissioned again because it makes the art director at the other end's experience a bit more challenging. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but I think animation is, is going to be pretty big. And it already is. We're seeing it pay off. Yeah. Thanks very much, everyone. Really appreciate you coming down in this terrible weather. Thanks so much. Have a good night.